if you was young, like I was, <laughs> I I had the honor of carrying the light first. Uh, usually, my dad and my older cousin they sometimes be three of us. Uh, dad be on one side of the creek, my older cousin would be on the other. I'd be in the middle holding the light. And as I wrote in my book, I could still hear my dad saying, shine a light over here, son. I think I see one. <laughs> and I'd say, Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand. Walking in the early dawn to climb up in my stand. Hornady presents America Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. I'm Alex Rutledge. We're in the studio with Redbone and Wayne Locke. And well, we've got another another great show lined up, guys. I'm telling you, I'm excited about this one. Right. Well, we're always in the studio. It's it's you're the one that's been the missing piece of the puzzle lately. <laughs> the well, missing link. Well, hold on a minute. Some of us works away from home. That's true. That's true. You have been traveling. California, Texas, Michigan. Up by Canada, and supposedly I'm leaving for Florida Monday morning. Mm. I'll be gone down there for a few you, days. So. You travel more than uh, Biden does. <laughs> Don't even bring him up. <laughs> and by the way, since you brought that up, I did not approve of the Michelle Obama commercial during my show. That was so a good, you that was, heard that? That was not put in there by American I, I think anybody listening to this show you knows, get on knows, to Mike knows that was a glitch. Get on to Mike Crace. Mike, what do you <laughs> got to say about it? Don't blame it on me. That's a network thing. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I want to say it. I did not approve of Michelle Obama doing a commercial during our show. So, that being said, it's food plot season. People are still food plotting. We have sold a tremendous amount of Eagle Seed. Over 40, I believe 45 bags. That sounds about right, because I've, I've been traveling to Arkansas every two weeks and getting them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you still got time to plant your food plots the next week and a half or two here. Uh, that'd be, what, six weeks of growing time, probably, before the middle of October. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, winter stuff in there, Yeah, so it's going to be good for yeah. the winter. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Mike, when's the next that'd rain good, coming in? It'll be good for next spring. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next rain, well, let's see, this is airing uh, on Saturday, recording on, thir- or recording on Wednesday, so uh, it was two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know we got a little bit in the forecast though coming up like Monday or Tuesday, don't we? Uh, I, I don't look that far ahead. Weather is an inexact science, and and I don't look any further than like two or three days when I look at weather. Well, you got to watch because you just don't some weathermen just they, aren't they, very good. They told us for a week we had a cold front coming in. We're going to have below normal temperatures all this week. And he went by long johns, and it's been eight degrees above average. Above average, right? <laughs> Didn't you go by long johns at Monty's? Uh, yeah, but I needed them anyway. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, we've got a great show. Food plotting, squirrel season's open. Uh, gigging season opens up next Tuesday evening here in the Ozarks, Missouri. And that's what our topic's going to be about in this upcoming week's show. Gigging. Gigging in the Ozarks. And we've got the master gig maker, Mr. Ray Hastings from Donovan, Missouri, Ripley County. 83 years old, Redbone. Wow. wow. And he's he is still making master- gigs? Yeah, he's still making wow. gigs. Mm-hmm. And you wait. You want to hear the perfect American Roots testimony. He was taught by Martin from Bunker, Missouri, and Shannon County how to make gigs in 1995 or 96. 83 years old. He's been making them. How many years is that? Figure it out. 30, 24. 24. 
Yeah, 24. 34. 34. 34. In 86? 86. 96. 96. Yeah, 24. 24, that's right. I, I, no 26. wonder I'm paying 26. too much money. 26. Anyway, no wonder <laughs> I'm not giving you too much money, both of you guys. But anyway, uh, 24 years. And 26, he, actually. He was approached, 26 years, correct. He was approached by Mr. Martin's great great grandson to learn how to make gigs, a teenager. So he's teaching him how to carry on the Martin tradition of making gigs. Well, that's awesome. That's a true American Roots story. It, it is. And I want to specify here that when we talk about uh, gigging season and making gigs, it's gigging fish and gigging frogs, not yeah. musicians playing gigs at the. <laughs> because that's why, you know, when a, mu- when a band, you know, they, right. they book a show somewhere, they're, they're playing a gig. Yeah, and, but do they say, we're going to go gigging? Yes, they do. I've never heard them say that. Oh, yeah. Oh, Actually, yeah. when you sent me the text and I pulled it up on my phone, the, the link. And it's, it's actually the first picture was somebody with a banjo. And I'm thinking, oh, we got a banjo player coming on. <laughs> and it wasn't until I started reading. I'm like, oh, wait, yeah. this has nothing to the picture. It had nothing to do with the article yeah, you were yeah, trying common to send ter- me. Common, term- common terminology for a band. Yeah. Yeah. We're gigging this Saturday at. Something. Okay. Now I have heard it in that term. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah how many gigs have you gig- done this year? But I've never heard anybody say, hey, I'm going to go gigging tonight. Uh, we're going to kill some suckers. No, we're going to play our Les Pauls. See now up there, if you well, would have told it does happen. Yeah, up there, uh, up and, and in Ohio, I never would have heard gigging as going to get fish or frogs. What would you have thought? That it was somebody playing a band. It shows your city fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> but anyway, I do, gig, the I do gigs every once in a while. I get asked to MC a show. It's a gig. Yeah, I, I MC a tractor pull. Matter of fact, I got one coming up for St. Jude, October third, and it's a gig for me. Yeah, yeah. So I'll be gigging October third, watching truck hmm. pull. Well, that sounds like hmm. fun. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to talk gigging. Uh, I'm glad we got educational, that edu- Educa- educational show today. Educational, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some are country, some are citified, and some just don't know, and that's me, I guess. But anyway, uh, this guy has a lot of knowledge, and he's going to tell you some things that's going to blow your mind. He was killing fish in the rivers before gigging was popular. Hmm. Hmm. Long time ago. Long time ago. He was born in 1937, I believe. That would be correct. Yeah. That's my dad's 83, and he was born in 1937. Yep, yep, yep. So, that being said, we got football starting up Thursday night. The Kansas City Chiefs play the Houston Texans. I'm not a big NFL fan no more because of politics. We won't get into that. But the high school football is kicked off all across the U.S. Uh, did the football players have to wear a mask? No. Okay, you said they was going to have to, Redbone. Uh, in the beginning, they were. But the Arkansas Activity Association and the Missouri High School Activity Associations both changed their, t- okay. changed their minds. Okay. Coaches do, though. Oh, the coaches do on the sidelines? Yes, coaches and the are refs supposed too, to wear right? And referees, and referees yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I, are some of the, I did notice that some of the uh, football players were wearing the full face shields. Are they still, yeah, some some, still yeah, doing that? Well, some have always done that. Okay. Yeah. But, but it's getting more common in high school, yeah. Yeah. Well, gigging season starts Tuesday night here in Missouri in the Ozarks. And uh, if you don't have your gigs bought, uh, shame on you. There's not a lot of gig makers left here in the Ozarks. And the new gigs that's being made by some people are laser cut. And they're they're not as durable as some of the other original gigs that was made by some of the famous gig makers like Elements, Martins, uh, uh, 
Well, and a lot Weavers. Of, yeah, and a lot of the gig makers, I mean, they Hastings. used, they used old uh, springs out of... Leaf springs, old, pickups. Yeah, leaf springs out of pickups and things like that. They were really hard metal, and, and now they make a lot of them out of pop metal, the yeah, commercial right. ones. And stainless. Yeah, stainless. And, that you know, they, I'm a three-prong guy. You know what a three-prong is, Wayne? I'm assuming it has three prongs on it. So... <laughs> See, I'm good at math. You know, you gave me the answer in the question. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Mr. EMT, Mr. Cleveland Ozarks. Anyway, we're going to go to a break, everybody. We've got a great show lined up for you. Mr. Ray Hastings, the master gig maker of the Ozarks, coming up in just a minute. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more American Roots Outdoors right after this. Right here, right now. This is Chancey Walters listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, the Ozark Herd Bull. Hornady presents. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors. Your host, Alex Rutledge. We are in the studio, and I'm here with Redbone Mike Crace, Mr. Wayne Locke, assistant brand manager, one of the brand managers, podcast director. And as promised, we've got a great show lined up for you. And on the line, we've got Mr. Ray Hastings from Ripley County, Donovan, Missouri, master gig maker. And this topic throughout the whole show is gigging in the Ozarks. Mr. Ray Hastings is also considered as a master at what he does. And we've got a great story to share with everybody that's listening today. So we're going to kick her off here. Welcome to this show, Mr. Ray. Thank you. Now, you live in Ripley County. How long have you resided there? Well, uh, I like to tell people I'm doing life without parole here. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ray, tell us where you was born and what year. I I was actually born in Ripley County, uh, west of Donovan, about 10 miles on a little road that connects 60 Highway west of Van Buren. Up uh, on Sea Highway, just about a mile and a half up Sea Highway. Wow. What year was you born, Mr. Ray? 1937. 1937. My dad was born in 1918. What year was your dad born? Uh, my dad was born in 1937. I have no idea I'm adopted. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 1937. My dad, was, my dad was born 1915. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, Mr. Ray, you, you've got some neat history to share with us, and we're going to ask you questions. If you don't care, you can just go along with us here and answer the questions. You, you was born in Ripley County, born in 1937. Did you go to school? What what year did you uh, graduate high school? You know, uh, I didn't graduate. Uh, I went two years. I actually went three years. Uh, uh, we got picked out a lot. Uh, Picking cotton, and uh, it was difficult. Uh, it was difficult times. But make a long story short, Dad got the, what they call back then rabbit fever, and uh, I took off went to St. Louis and uh, started working up there to support him. He couldn't work, and my younger brother and sister, mom and dad, and I sent them the money I made, and I just didn't finish high school. So, so how old was you when you went to St. Louis to work to provide for your family? Uh, I I guess I was seventeen when I went up there. Wow. What do you think of that, Redbone? Yeah, where whereabouts did you work in St. Louis, and where did you live up that way? 
Uh, I would stay with them. I had brothers and sisters up there. I, okay. They'd put me up, and I'd stay with them. Yeah. And, and did you just do various jobs, or was there? did you have a career there, or what? No, I didn't have a career. I just had done various jobs, as you say, whatever I could. Uh, I think my best job was uh, uh, somehow or another I got on at Fisher Body, a car mm-hmm. fan up there, and, and I made back then $80 a week. Eighty dollars a week. Wow. Yeah, I kept five dollars out of it and sent the rest to mom and dad. Wow. Wow. What a story. I hope there's young listeners all across the world listening to this story right here. This is the true testament, true story of dedication, passion, and love for your family from Mr. Ray. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean someone that is willing to only keep very little and give the rest back to his parents who probably have given everything they had as he was growing up to him, and they probably went without, and now he's returning the favor to him. That's awesome. Beautiful. Mr. Ray, what a wonderful Well, it story. didn't cost me anything to say because I had my lodging and food with my brothers and sister, whoever I was staying with at the time. So I, I wasn't out much, just back and forth uh, transit. I didn't have a car or anything yeah. to so, get to work. So here's a question for you about Fisher, working for Fisher. Did you help build any 55s or 56, 57 Chevy cars? Yeah. Yeah, I was working there in 56, uh, I believe, and uh, or, uh, 50, 55, 56, and uh, I seen the new ones come out, yeah. Wow. I'd love to live in that era. <laughs> yeah, did, you, did you know at that time, looking at them, Ray, that they were going to be as popular as they are today? <laughs> No, but later on, I owned the 57, 1957. Really? Wow. Two-door hardtop? It was a hardtop, uh, but I don't remember now. I believe it was a four-door. Uh, four-door. It was a kind of a family car, but it was it was old when I could finally afford one. I mean, it's several years old. It wasn't. Uh, I, I never did, could afford a new one, you know. Did you ever stop and think, hey, I might have helped build this car? Yeah, that's cool. Well, yeah, it was possible. You know, these semi lines up there, and we all done parts, mm-hmm. done a certain job on each one as they come through. Well, that's pretty neat, knowing that a man uh, lives in Ripley County helped build 56, 57 Chevys. And uh, I here's a question for you, uh, Ray. Uh, tell us about your family. You're married. You got daughters. You got boys, sons. Let's talk about your family. Well, uh, the wife I have, we're, I'm married to now. Uh, I've been married before. I've got a boy and uh, three daughters. And uh, my wife has uh, two boys and a daughter. And uh, we've been together, uh, I, I believe we've been married 31 years and uh, uh, went together three years. Her husband was killed in a a uh, car accident. He was a uh, not a close friend, but a distant friend of mine. And uh, uh, we kind of got together accidentally uh, sometime after he was killed. And I'd been divorced about nine years and wasn't going to ever do it again. So well, it worked out. We we finally said I do. And uh, we've been together now. Like I said, married 31 or so years. Beautiful. Wow. Beautiful. 
Yeah. There's been many a many a guys that have gotten divorced and said, "I'll never do this again." And the next thing you know, they got another ring on their finger, and <laughs> yeah. they live happily ever after. Yeah, I open my big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, if you're just tuning in here, we got Mr. Ray Hastings, the master gig maker from here in the Missouri Ozarks. We're gonna go to a break. Don't go away. We've got more with Mr. Ray. Right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Aaron Tippin, and you're listening to my old buddy, Alex Rutledge, with American Roots Outdoors. Hornady presents. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors. This is segment three of the show, and we've got special guest, Mr. Ray Hastings, master gig maker in the Ozarks. If you did not catch the second segment of the show, we talked about his roots, where he was born, uh, where he grew up, his family. Now we're going to get into the gist of him becoming a master gig maker. Mr. Ray, tell us about your gigging experience. You told me earlier in a phone conversation that you'd done something before gigging was ever famous. Let's talk about that. Uh, most people never heard of uh, Bo and Spiking or Bo gigging, as I told you earlier. Uh, it was a form of gigging that you uh, waded in the creeks and used a bow and small gigs, miniature gigs, you might say, and... Uh, you shot, shot them with a, a bow. They was actually uh, tiny, like uh, four, five, six inches long, uh, average. And uh, uh, the bows was some average about five foot long. And they was homemade. The blacksmiths usually made the, the gigs for us. And uh, sometimes a... Uh, uh, Somebody with the skills and had a small shop at home would make a gig, and uh, we'd wade the creeks of night, and they used different forms of light. They'd use a uh, coal oil ball. They'd wrap a lot of rags around the limb, and and uh, pull the lanterns come out and uh, light the coal oil on it, and the gig like that wade the creek. <laughs> And pine knots, they would they would use a, a split pine down so far, and they would go in the daytime and stash uh, different pine pine bundles they call them in different places. They knew how far one would burn, and uh, they gig with that. But we had a one man uh, Coleman lantern. They also gig by carbide lights of the night. They'd hold the fish just like a, a lantern would on a river, and uh, we we could you could gig them at daytime also. And we'd done a lot of that, but it was harder to kill fish in daytime. Mm-hmm. We killed many a big masses of fish in the night with them little bow gigs. Also called bows and spike, bow gigging or bow and spiking. Wow. And uh, I uh, I grew up doing that. Neat terminology, Redbone. Yeah, it is. And, you know, my question is, was, was somebody designated to be the shooter and somebody designated to carry the light? Because you can't carry a lantern and shoot a bow at the same time. Correct. That's good observance. So uh, uh, if you were young, like I was, <laughs> I, I had the honor of carrying the light first. Uh, usually my dad 
and my older cousin, they sometimes be three of us. Uh, Dad be on one side of the creek, my older cousin would be on the other. I'd be in the middle holding the light. And as I wrote in my book, I could still hear my dad saying, shine light over here, son. I think I see one. <laughs> and I'd take a couple of steps towards him and shine the light and hold it kind of where the glare wouldn't be in his eye. They had a shade on top. Mm-hmm. And he'd gig his fish. And uh, uh, the creek's not being very wide. They could, I could get in the middle. They could pretty well see. And uh, then uh, Dad carried a tow sack around his waist. Uh, and the, the fish would be placed in it, and he could use both hands uh, wow. to uh, go ahead and gig. Now, they use carbide lights, too, but uh, we never did use them. So one man with that on his cap could go ahead and gig, you know, Yeah. and didn't have to have anybody carrying it. Yeah, that'd be kind of a game changer at that point. You got the carbide light on your hat. Uh-huh. That was being fancy. Yeah. <laughs> that if you wasn't if you was born before or after nineteen fifty, uh you wouldn't know anything about boat gig. And it was a forerunner of the boat fishing nowadays. Sure. And and uh uh it's it's a it was a great sport and a good way to put fish on the table. You know, times wasn't really easy back then because the depression had come through, and the World War II is over with, and actually, uh, it helped out a lot. So, is it, excuse me, I'm sorry, is it something that you had to graduate to from being the light holder to being the shooter? Oh, you, you got your turn after they killed them. They Everybody took their turns. Yeah, Daddy always let me gig. I kill a lot of them, too. Okay. Yeah, after they all scared all the fish away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, it wasn't like gigging in one hole. We'd, we'd walk down a creek uh, a mile or more and gig all the way back up. We lived right on the creek, and we'd gig all the way back up to our house. You you waded upstream, uh, then the waves are, you wade slow, and the waves you kick up, the water current would tear them down behind you and wouldn't spook the fish. Mm. Okay. So this was a very, I mean, this was something that you had to kind of learn the, the ifs and whats and the, and the how-tos as you were, as you continued to get older and continued to go. Yeah. Then we graduated from that to uh, the bigger streams. They actually had three types of gigs, uh, as I've discovered in my collecting of gigs and bank, making them. They had the little bow gigs. They had the medium-sized creek gigs. And uh, then after the medium-sized creek gig, they had the bigger river gigs to use gigging out of a boat with on the rivers. That's pretty cool, making three different gigs. Yeah, it really um, is. You know, a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, and, di- and different sizes for different applications. So, uh, I mean, you, you talked about this, Ray, and, and you said earlier that uh, if you were born before 1950, you probably didn't know a whole lot about this. Uh, when did you all stop with the river gigging? Well, they the haven't stopped yet. It's a big event. It goes on till today. Now, the, the bow gigging kind of mm-hmm. went out mostly in the 60s. Okay. But uh, it was still carried on in a few pockets uh, until the 90s. In fact, wow. I taught my grandkids how to do it. I've done it after 2000. Wow. Yeah, I'm just, I, I'm still, my kids did a lot of bow fishing uh, back in the 2000s, and 
it, it threw me when you said that you were using a, a bow that was five. Because you were talking the old recurves and, and the old uh, uh, well, these, stick bows. Well, uh, the, the bows were just made out of hickory, and all different kinds of wood. In fact, uh, I had a guy that come over and done a story on uh, it. went into a popular magazine. He couldn't believe he's a bow maker. And the bows that they made that we used to bow fish with or bow gig with, uh, they was breakable if you pulled them back very far, but we didn't have to pull them back very far uh, bow gigging, only about six or seven inches, you know. Right. Yeah, because they had so much made power. made out of sassafras, cedar, right. a very breakable bow. But they also had hickory, white oak, all different kinds of wood, mulberry. Uh, they made them out of all different kinds of wood. And what did you use for string, right? We used baling wire. Really? For wow. the most part, uh, that's all we ever used was baling wire. Yeah, it threw me when you said they were, the bows were five feet tall, because my daughter, when she was bow fishing, she was only four four foot something, so I think she would have had a little problem pulling that one back. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, the spikes that went on these in the bow gigs on these bow shot gigs was a one, a two, and a three, and sometimes they'd make a four prong. Okay, so I, I just, guess that's where the word spike comes from. You just have one prong. Uh-huh. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, and, I, and I know, and you have started making these gigs uh, back in the mid-1990s, right? 95, 96. Uh, I started collecting gigs in 91, and I didn't know anything about how they made them. And I seen a real nice gig in Van Buren. I was up there, and uh, I think I bought it, and I asked a guy, who made that? And he said, a guy at Bunker. And uh, he gave me information I needed, and he said, Paul Martin. And I drove up there and visited with him. Hmm. And uh, uh, somehow or another, we con- I contacted, somebody told me about the Missouri Folk Art Program. And uh, uh, he didn't much want to teach me, <laughs> but back then they gave him after we got in contact with him, they gave him $1,500 to teach me. That was what the program paid back then. Wow. And they I... gave me some mileage drive up there. It was about 80 miles, 85. Sure. And uh, helped look... me how to make gigs. I went six months, once or twice a week up there. All right, that's a good place for us to take a break right there, and then we want to talk about this process. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, this is Eddie Salter, and you listen to American Roots and Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Passed on down, planted deep in the ground around your heart, so you never gotta worry what the wind might do. American Roots. Horny D presents. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors, fourth segment of the show, radio show. This is our final segment for the radio show, but we've got a bonus segment coming up after that. And we're going to talk about that real quick here so you can get the bonus segment. Yeah, to get to the bonus segment, you just got to sign on to your uh, your favorite podcast carrier, uh, whether it be Stitcher, Apple, uh, 
Podchaser, you name it, we're on it. There's not a, a, a carrier right now that we're not on right now. And so just go to that, subscribe, uh, take a listen to the uh, the show, and you'll get the bonus segment, which is always going to have some great material that you're just not going to hear on the radio. I think this is one of the better shows we've ever done, everybody. Uh, having neat history, the American roots of Mr. Uh, Ray Hastings, and talking about gig making, gigging in the Ozarks. That means fish gigging, not playing music. And uh, we've covered some great topics so far, Redbone. Uh, yeah, I think it, you know, just going through this process now, Alex, with with Ray and and how he goes about making these gigs. Yeah, and uh, you know what's really neat about this? I I was blessed to talk to Ray before we got him on the show. Here he's still on the show with us. Ray, you was talking about Paul Martin teaching you how to make these gigs, and now you're teaching others how to make these gigs, and it seems like it's a lost art. You know, you don't see a lot of gig makers anymore in the Ozarks still alive, but you shared something with me today in our early phone conversation. Would you please share that with all of our listeners? Uh, are you talking about teaching others through the Missouri Folk Art Program? Yes, sir. Teaching others and talking about passing on the Martin roots that was passed on to you. Okay. Uh, I've taught four other guys how to make gigs, and uh, uh, I met uh, uh, Paul Martin's grandson. He was, when I uh, graduated from that school up there, he finished teaching me. Uh, Paul Martin's grandson was eight or nine year old. Well, he remembered me. So sometime about a year ago, I uh, I got reacquainted with him. He's grown now, of course. And uh, uh, he wanted me to teach him how to make gigs. So what you're saying is that Paul Martin's son that was eight or nine years old when you was up there learning how to make gigs remembered you, and now this boy wants to learn how to do the same thing that his grandpa or his dad done. Well, yeah, it was his grandson. Yeah. Well, that's passing uh, on the Paul, American roots. Paul, Paul Martin's grandson is who it is. Anthony Martin. Anthony Martin. Anthony Martin. You know, Tim Rowland, who I work with, Wayne Redbone, uh, Paul Martin, he's kin to the Martins. So it's three generations then went by and then uh, picked up again. That's awesome. Yeah, so what he's doing, he's teaching Anthony Martin how to make gigs that was passed on to Mr. Ray. Hmm. Pretty cool story, Redbone. That is a cool story, and uh, I'd be interested in the process. What what materials are you using to to build these gigs? Uh, I use, uh, as Paul taught me, a flat pickup spring seal. The older the better, Still seems to be. If I can get something made in the '60s, I've uh, supplied myself with plenty of steel. Uh, the, them springs have four or five leaves in them, you know. So just break them apart and you use them. Okay, so now you're using a forge to do this too. Let's talk about that process. And uh-huh. uh, what we'll do, we'll carry on the rest of this in the bonus segment, how he hammers out and makes these gigs. We've got how many minutes left in this uh, segment? Got, got, got about seven minutes till we, we get got to about end. seven minutes here. We can talk about part of the process and finish it in the bonus segment. So what is the first step in making a forged gig? Well, it's a... Uh... It's it's simple, but uh, really complicated at the same time, too. Uh, of course, you, uh, you have your chisel, hammer there, and you heat and beat what it mounts to, but you got to uh, heat the steel to a cherry red, red hot, 
and then lay it out on your uh, the length of the gig is going to be, and lay it out on your anvil, and start splitting out the prongs first. And then when you get to four prong, you split three splits down through there, and you gives you four prongs. And uh, the piece of steel's got to be about at least two and a quarter inches wide to spring, up to two and a half inches wide. And uh, you take the outside prong, of course, you have to cut the socket out too, what's going to be the socket, and you, you've you got to stick it right straight out, get it really, really hot, mm-hmm. and, and beat it right straight out where you can work it, and you work it into a... Uh, prong like you want it and uh, you shape the point of it and cut your beard on it and then you have to close the beard right back down against it huh. so it won't burn off and then you heat it again and uh, bend it down out of your way then you do the other side like that same process and then you spread the middle two prongs out and you do the same thing there, you, you have to spread them way out so you can work them into their points and cut the beards on them. And uh, after you get all that done, it, it's not as simple as I'm talking about it, but you uh, put them over the anvil horn and bring them back into shape, and then you start working on your socket. you got to beat that out. I have a rounding hammer that uh, really cuts into the... Uh, the the piece that's going to be the socket, and it's uh, quicker to make than just a regular ball peen hammer. I don't have any uh, power hammers. It's all powered by my arm and hand. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, it takes a long time to beat out that socket. After you get it beat out, you have to round it out into a furrow or the socket, and... Uh, then uh, you uh, last thing you do is you heat your beards and uh, middle two first, and then you bring your uh, uh, outside ones out, and uh, uh, then you uh, temper it, and you've got your gig finished. But you're talking about just about an all-day job right there. Really? Just for one gig? Yeah. Now I'm thinking uh, that you've probably been doing this so long and you're so good at it. You probably and I'm going I'm to I'm gonna bet Alex and Mike on this. You probably don't even really have to use a grinder when you're done, do you? Uh, Paul Martin didn't. Uh, I had to do a little filing on mine, <laughs> but Paul Martin was good enough. Just a hammer and a chisel. He got through with it. It was a work of art. He was. I believe he could make one with his eyes closed. He was that good. Wow. Wow. I remember as a kid, everybody, going with my dad, and I believe it may have been Mr. Martin or maybe a weaver, I can't remember, in Winona, Missouri, and watching a guy make a gig. we got one one minute left here, and uh, again, Wayne, touch on the bonus segment, because he's going to talk more about making these gigs. Yeah, to listen to the rest of the story on gig making, uh, you're just going to tune in to your favorite podcast carrier and uh, type in American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge. Pull it up, subscribe, and check out the uh, rest of this segment here. And uh, don't forget, please leave us a review. We've got a winner. As a matter of fact, our winner for the seed we drew is Amanda Payne. 
So, Amanda, congratulations. And if you want to win the next prize we're going to be giving away here in three weeks, two to three weeks, uh, just leave us a review and you'll automatically be entered. So, congratulations again to Amanda Payne for winning the bag of Eagle Seed Smorgasbord. Awesome. Everybody remember, here at American Roots, thanks for listening. Again, tune in to the bonus segment. And congratulations to the winner. And we're going to have another winner next week. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors. And Wayne, Redbone, what do we say? Bye, y'all. No. <laughs> no, we say when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. So you never got to worry what the wind might do. American Roots. Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Hornady presents Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, Mike Craze. This is Wayne Locke, and if you're listening to this, that means you are on the bonus segment. Well, we want to tell you, if you're on the bonus segment, thank you for subscribing to us over here on American Roots. And please remember to leave us a review and get entered into the contest. And uh, Ray, let's start up where we left off, and that is how you're making these uh, gigs and that. You left off with talking about the fact that you were just starting to, to grind them. or not, not grind, you're just filing them to get your, your tips and that on there. And you, how many different styles... Have you, or how many different ones have you made over the years, like all together, like 2,000, 3,000, 10,000? No, no, I don't work steady at them. It was just, it turned out to be a hobby for me. I was more interested in just learning how they were made. I couldn't figure out how they, how they were made. I started collecting them is what got me interested in them. And uh, in 95, I started collecting 91. In 95, it piqued my interest so much, that that's when I decided I'd learn how they made them. And uh, along about 95 or 6, they started encouraging me to write a book. I don't know if I mentioned that. I think we you talked did. about yeah. that. And, uh, uh, no, that was, uh, sorry. That was in 2005, but uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself That's here. That's all right. No, you're doing but fine. But I wanted to bring that up. Uh, uh, we want people I, to buy your book. I wrote a book on gig making. Okay. And, 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 uh, and, and, on okay. collecting gigs and a different type of gigs. And uh, I think one of my big accomplishments is writing that book. I'm, I'm really proud of it. And... Uh, uh, I wrote it, and it went on sale in 2008, so I'll get that out of the way. Now you can go back and ask me what she's going to. Yeah, I want one of those books, Ray, and I'm sure Wayne does, and so does Redbone. We want to buy them from you, and we'd like you to autograph them and sign them for us. But also, all of our listeners, if you're interested in purchasing one of these books, he's just got a few left. How can people get a hold of you to buy one of these books? Well, they can call my house phone, leave a message if I'm out here. It's 573-996-7580. And uh, they're $24.95 plus $350 for shipping and handling right now. And uh, uh, like you said, I don't have too many left, but uh, uh, 
when I get down to a certain amount, uh, I'm going to keep a few of them, and uh, I will have to go up on the price. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. So if we're going to buy right now, the time to buy. <laughs> well, I'm going to be. I'm going to buy. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to buy the first one. Yeah, I'm going to buy two of them because I think I'm going to give one away for a, a, a listener. Yeah, we will. That's a, that. That would be a great price for yes, a listener. It would. Well, I'm thinking about you driving and, over to Donovan and buying them. No, you're not. They're a hardback book with. They uh, don't help the sale, but <laughs> picture me on the cover holding a bow and a spike and a two prong bow gig that I made. And a picture is of me waiting in Buffalo Creek up on Sea Highway. And it's uh, it's a beautiful cover on it, and it's stitch-bound. Uh, I mean, that, that thing will last forever. Here's and uh, it's not a paperback. Uh, I, I told him, I said, I want a good cover on that thing. And uh, it cost me more to get it done, but that's what I wanted. What have you got to say to all the listeners out there across the world that's listening right now about gigging, if they've never gigged before? What have you got to say and, and explain to them why you're so passionate about gigging? Well, it, it, it's it's uh, it's a wonderful sport. Uh, people used to do that. They used to gather at the riverbanks. They don't so much anymore. And they'd fry their fish up and have family gatherings there when back when uh, uh, times were the world was uh, a lot bigger, you know, and there uh, wasn't so much going on that they'd do their other things. But it, it was just a, a fun sport, and it was just uh, a way to put, put food on the table, too, back when I was growing up. It, times weren't easy in the 30s and the 40s and 50s. It, it was... Uh, not saying that I had it rougher than the ones back in end of the Depression, but I was born at the tail end of the Depression. I can remember hard times. Yeah, and of course, Ray, as you know, our part of the world takes a little longer to recover from those economic downturns mm-hmm. than some other parts of the country do, too. Uh, so my big question to you here is, um, was it ever competitive when you and your dad and your cousin or whoever would go out? Did y'all compete who could kill the most fish or who could kill the biggest well, they was bragging rights on the biggest fish. <laughs> yeah. What's the biggest and fish you've ever killed? The biggest fish you've ever killed with, with uh, a gig? Well, well, you have to realize in the creeks, there wasn't any great big fish. Right. In the river, I don't recall ever killing anything uh, monstrous. Uh, carp and buffalo, they some big ones in them. I've heard of some guys killing some 25-pounders and uh, buffalo and stuff like that, but I don't recall ever killing anything really monstrous. Well, Alan Rector from Winona is passing on the tradition of gigging and bow fishing to a lot of the younger generation, and I've been with Alan. We killed an Australian carp that weighed over 30 pounds with a bow. That's sizable. Yeah, and Asian carp is in Current River. Uh, pretty healthy uh, bunch of yeah yeah. I bet he would like to read this this book. You know. Oh, he would, and he's you know he's close to seventy years old now, sixty five, and man, he takes kids all the time. Uh, my hats off to Alan Rector. Well, he may have done if he's seventy. He may have done some of this bow gigging, bow spiking. I, I tell you, Oregon County and Reynolds County. 
Uh, I've collected sprays about, I, I think I counted up about 15, 16 counties and, and around from Ripley County over uh, that way. And if you in Arkansas, four or five counties, they use this bow and spike. It's the only place that uh, Dr. Price and I have found that uh, use this bow and spike. It's kind of a rarity. It's an Ozark custom that just just happened here, and we can't find anywhere else that was used. Well, that's great. That's, that's what makes it so great. Uh, and uh, it, it's an Ozark phenomenon. He wrote a little short story about it. it. It's just kind of an Ozark phenomenon that happened here. Well, that's awesome. And, folks, you've been listening to uh, Ray, Mike, Alex, and this is Wayne, and uh, you've been listening to American Roots Outdoors on the podcast, the bonus segment. Ray, we want to thank you very much. And uh, guys, uh, gals, get out there, get that book while they ha- while he still has them, because the price is going up, he said. So get them now while you can, and um, enjoy this gig. And this is new to me. This is probably the most educational show I've oh, done it's, it's, all year, uh, because being from northern Ohio, that's just not something we do. We've never done the gigging. You know, we've done the boat fishing. But to hear the history of the gigging in the Ozark area, that, that's just amazing. I mean, this has been great, and I know our listeners are going to really enjoy this. We appreciate you being on the show with us, Ray, and thank you for what you've done to pass on the tradition of gigging. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right, folks, it's going to wrap it up for the bonus segment of American Roots Outdoors. We thank you for joining us, and as we always say, when your roots run deep and strong, you have no reason to fear the wind. 